Are you gonna stay right here? Okay, so uh, because of the highly disorganized level of the servants here, nothing is working. So if you guys could come closer, then you guys can see the, my awesome, amazing PowerPoint. It's mostly just ver Bible verses and stuff like that, so you can follow along. So we can sit closer together, and maybe that will uh, facilitate conversation, which will be better. So maybe they did it on purpose, you know. All right, I'll start in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Uh, because today is the Feast of Pentecost, um, it reminded me, sort of, I wanted to talk about uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and I wanted to do, last year we, we, we read this book called The Giver of Life, and it was a, sort of a contemplation on, uh, you know the prayer that we say in the third hour, O Heavenly King, the Comfort of Spirit of Truth, right? So it, it was kind of a, like a part-by-part -part, um, contemplation on that prayer, and uh, it had some really, really nice stuff, so I, I sort of compiled all that stuff into sort of 20 or 30 minutes worth of really nice things. Um, so that you can benefit from it. So we'll go through that and we'll see uh, sort of what's the role of the Holy Spirit in my life, how I can, how I should approach Him, um, what is His role in, in my life in unifying me with Christ, that sort of thing. Okay. So just so that everybody's familiar, which I had on the first page of the PowerPoint, is the prayer itself. O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who is present in all places and fills all the treasure of good things and life giver, graciously come and dwell in us, purify us from all defilement, O good one, and save our souls. So the first thing I wanted to uh, sort of talk about is what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Why does what we believe in the, about the Holy Spirit matter? Okay. Or first I was talking about like, okay, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? We believe the Holy Spirit to be sort of, uh, not sort of, we believe the, the Holy Spirit to be a distinct person uh, within the Trinity, right? Distinct from the Father and the Son and possessing all the attributes of personhood and possessing all the attributes of divinity, okay? Why does that matter? Why does it matter that we believe that? So there are a lot of people made a lot of arguments and a lot of excommunications over people who didn't believe that. Why, why does that matter? Why is that a big deal? First, it's like a big, it's a big deal because of, for, from the standpoint of worship, okay? So if the Holy Spirit is a person alongside the Father and the Son, then He deserves to be worshiped as the Father and the Son, right? We should be treated him, treating Him with adoration, honor, and glorifying Him as we do the Father and the Son. And actually today in uh, the Segda prayers, which I'm sure you guys all attended, there was, um, uh, we read the Gospel of the Samaritan woman, um, John chapter 4, and it says at the end of John, in John chapter 4 that God is looking for people to worship in spirit and truth, right? So um, if we think of the Holy Spirit as sort of, I would give up. <laughs> if you think of the Holy Spirit, as a, sort of a force or a power, it would really change how, how I pray, it changes sort of how I interact even with the Holy Spirit. If you remember in the book of Acts, there was, uh, there was this scenario or this story that happened, St. Peter, um, well, there was this person named Simon and he was baptized and then St. Peter came and he laid his hands on him and then the, the Holy Spirit descended on Simon and descended on a bunch of people. Simon was, before he converted to Christianity, was, anybody know who, who Simon was? Have you heard of this guy before? Simon? Actually, he's pretty famous because from him, anybody ever heard of the word simony? You know what simony is? Okay. Uh, simony is, is when I sell, um, so if I, if I want you to be a priest or something, and, and you, you, you say to me, okay, if you give me $500, I'll make you a priest. Okay, that's simony. Okay. Why is it called simony? Because of this guy named Simon. Okay. So what did Simon ask? 
Anybody remember Acts chapter 8? What did he ask? He asked St. Peter. So when he, he saw people, he saw St. Peter laying his hands on people and the Holy Spirit descending on them like uh, tongues of fire, just like on the day of Pentecost. And so Simon goes to them and says, you know what, that is so cool. I want to have that power. What can I pay you so that I can have this power to do the same thing as, as what you're doing? And of course, St. Peter got very offended and he told them that that's really not how it works. But that is really how it would work if I would think of the Holy Spirit as sort of a force instead of rather than, right, God himself, right? God is, is a person, not somebody who can be controlled by uh, just by whatever whims I may have, right? So that's what, Saint, that's what Simon was trying to do and that's what St. Peter Simon was kind of going against and teaching him about. The other part why the doctrine of sort of uh, the personality or personhood of the Holy Spirit is important uh, is from the standpoint of an experience, okay? So if I, if I treat the Holy Spirit as a person or if I understand the Holy Spirit to be a person, then that, then that means that there's a possibility of a relationship, right? A, a communion, right? Some uh, like a, a bond of love between me and the Holy Spirit. But if, but if I think of him as an it, like a force, like just a thing, then I, don't, I can't love that, not in the same way, you know what I mean? Like, so you may love your, you know, car, but you don't love the car, your car the same way you love, sort of, I hope, a person, right? So it's a little bit different. Um, proper understanding of the Holy Spirit determines how we worship, right? If the Holy Spirit is this mysterious force, then we, think to, then we should think to ourselves like Simon, we think to ourselves, how can I grasp this power? What can I do to grasp this power, right? If I think of the Holy Spirit as a person, my prayer would be reversed, right? How can the Holy Spirit take advantage or work in me, right? How can He work in me rather than how can I use Him? Does that make sense? Okay, so if you go through, if you go through the prayer, O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the first thing He says is the Comforter. So what does it mean? Or actually, I, I have a question. It says that the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. Whom does the Holy Spirit comfort? Whom does the Holy Spirit comfort? Okay to guess and be wrong. I won't mock you that badly. What do you think? Or we could just stare at each other for a couple of minutes. It's fine too. Like a time. What do you think? Who is the Holy Spirit comforting? If Nancy would put up the PowerPoint, you would know the answer. If it says, O oh, Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who is pre present in all places and fills all, who is the Holy Spirit comforting? Ooh. Uh, that's vague. Who's us? Who does the Holy Spirit comfort? Okay, so he says he's present everywhere and fills all. So who is he comforting? Everyone. Everyone. Right? So then I, I guess I, my, the reason I'm asking that is, so what is the difference between uh, someone who is Christian, who has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him, and someone who is not? Or is it right to say, like, would you disagree with me when I say that the Holy Spirit comforts everyone? Or if you agree, is there a difference between the way the Holy Spirit comforts me as a Christian and having the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me and someone who's non-Christian who doesn't? What do you think? Talkative bunch. What do you think? Do you agree with me that the Holy Spirit comforts everybody? Why? What makes you say that? Don't you think that you are special because you were baptized and chrismated and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you? Don't you think you're special or not special? 
if the Holy Spirit comforts all of us, whether we're baptized or not, or whether we're chrismated or not, why bother, right? So what do you think? Does the Holy Spirit comfort us if we're not baptized and chrismated or not? What do you think? I've confused you. I mean, we're all his children, so... Really? You think that? Pull, pull, out, pull, out, pull out John chapter 1. Pull out John chapter 1. Um, so the part where he says, to them he, be, he gave the right to be children of God, even, who, uh, even those who believed in his, in his name, who were born not of the flesh, but, but of the will of God. Read that part. I don't know what the verse is. I'm not good with verses. Oh my goodness. Wow. Look at you. I, I always knew you could do it. I, I, everybody else did, but I knew. Okay. <laughs> I think we're on... Yeah, that one's fine. That, that one's good. I know you're not paying attention. It's okay. What does it say in the gospel? Read that part. To them he became... The, the verse right before it says, to them he became... He gave the right. Ah, okay, wait, no, say louder. No, no, so people don't miss it. But as many received... But as many as... But as many as received him to them, he gave their right to become children of God. Okay, stop, stop, stop. So not everybody, right? He says, but as many as received him... So the people who didn't receive them, are they children of God or not? What do you think? I mean, it's not brain surgery, right? He's saying that as many as received them said they're the children of God. So they're people who are not children of God. Isn't that what baptism is? Adoption into the family of God? We are all God's creation. We're all built in His image and likeness. That's why we deserve uh, love and respect no matter if we're baptized or not baptized. But there are only... Uh, there are only, <laughs> <laughs> only the people who are, who are baptized are children of God. Only people who believe in Him are His children. Okay? So if only people who believe in Him are His children, does the Holy Spirit... I'll ask the question again. Does the Holy Spirit comfort everyone? No. Okay, look at this, look at this uh, verse that, that he says in Joel. This verse, by the way, is St. Peter quoted this uh, on Pentecost. We read this today in Acts. I'm sure you guys were paying attention during the liturgy. This was, uh, St. Peter said this during Acts. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on how, on who? Who's he pouring his spirit out on? What's it say? You can read, right? You all can read, right? All flesh. All flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. So is the Holy Spirit working in everybody or just some people? All flesh, right? So then what's the difference? That's the part that I wanted to get to you. What, what's the difference? What's the difference? What's the distinction? Re- okay, go to the next slide. Wow, we did it. This is, what, this is what Christ says about the Holy Spirit. He says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So Christ is saying what? Is Christ saying that Everybody can receive the Holy Spirit, or there's only some people who can and some people who cannot. Right? He's saying some people can and some people cannot. So what's the difference? If the Holy Spirit is the comforter and is everywhere and fills all. But this is saying that not the world can't receive him. What's the distinction? So actually, if I want to be more, I'll, I'll help you out a little bit. So definitely we have to agree that the Holy Spirit, because it says like the Holy Spirit is everywhere and fills all. And He's God, right? If so He's God, He's everywhere. 
right? He's everywhere. And he's affecting everyone. Okay? But there's obviously a distinction of how is the Holy Spirit working in believers. It's different, right? So the distinction is, that, like the point that I was trying to get to is sort of like the comfort of the Holy Spirit is an external aid for those who are not baptized, who are not, who are not chrismated. It's an external aid coming from outside. Okay? Every human being is a creation of God, right? Every human being is, 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 is deserving of, his, uh, of love and respect as a child of God. Uh, uh, creation, his creation. But not everybody is a child of God. So the person who is baptized and has a Holy Spirit dwelling in them, is, he doesn't receive comfort from the Holy Spirit just as an external aid, right? It's, just, it's also, or more so, an internal experience. Okay? See the distinction? Go ahead, next slide. This is the part that I made uh, Maria uh, look up. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So each person uh, is God's creation, made his image, made his likeness, deserves dignity, respect, all that kind of stuff. But only those who receive him have the right to be children of God. Okay. So the prayer itself says that the Holy Spirit is everywhere and fills all. So that assures us that he's active in everybody's life. But it's the children of God, the people who are willing to receive him, that have the Holy Spirit as an internal experience, okay? As a grace dwelling, you know, inside of us, deep inside of us. To do what? To do what? So if the Holy Spirit is, is, is comforting us for the, externally, He may give us sort of a feeling of, you know, feeling good for uh, if I'm going through something or, or, or maybe peace during distress. If the Holy Spirit is in, inside of me and He's working inside of me, what's the difference? What is He, what is he doing inside of me? That he's not doing in others. It has partially to do with the conscience, yes. Actually, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit's work in, in me is transformation. Okay? Transformation. When I, when I was baptized, I became a child of God. Okay? But like the story is not done in my baptism, right? I lived my entire life being transformed into the image and likeness of God. And that transformation occurs by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So, ah, perfect. Wow, look at you. Okay, so this is the prayer again. Oh, heavenly kingdom, come to the spirit of truth. So there's a lot of things I could have talked about when I talk about the spirit of truth. But the most important thing that I think, or the thing that I wanted to highlight, was kind of something along what you said. The spirit of truth, uh, the, or one of the most important things to know about is the truth about myself. The truth about myself. What do I mean by that? Like one of the biggest things related to this, if, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me, and His work is to transform me, one of the things or most important things to do in order for that transformation to work is learning the truth about myself. Right? Learning the truth about myself. So the task of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, is to sort of burn away misperceptions about myself. Okay? My own misperceptions about myself. Until all that's left is God's vision of me, how He sees me. Does that make sense? Go to the next slide. This is what St. Macarius says. He says, He is the Lord and she the handmaid. He the creator and she the creation. He the architect and she the fabric. And there is nothing in common between him and her nature. But by means of his infinite, ineffable, and incomprehensible love and compassion, it pleased him to make his indwelling in this made thing. Okay, so he's contemplating on like what the, 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 the greatness of the idea or of the fact that the Holy Spirit decides, although he has nothing in common with us as humans, to come and to dwell inside of us. To have our indwelling inside of us. Okay, so it pleased God to dwell sort of within a human being. 
Why is that sentence significant? It's significant because um, if you think about the difference between Christianity and sort of pagan religions before, before uh, kind of before Christianity came onto the scene, pagan re uh, religions sort of had gods that were created or created the universe as sort of like acts of violence or as an afterthought and people were just sort of like haphazard and humanity was sort of like caretakers or slaves. But this one, but, but this verse or like the actions of the Holy Spirit are saying that God, the God of Christianity sort of created the world on purpose in his own image. Okay, so this revelation in itself is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Why is the concept of the spirit of truth sort of really significant? How many of us struggle with the concept of our own self-worth? Okay, how many of us struggle with the concept of our own self-worth? Either we remain sort of unconvinced that we have some sort of value, or we put our worth in the wrong places, right? We put our worth in our success in school, how much money we make, how we're viewed by the opposite sex, right? Part of the problem, why is that? Why do we do that? Is sort of we, have, we lack this illumination of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, who teaches us that we are the pinnacle of creation. Okay, the Holy Spirit teaches that we're the pinnacle of creation. So the spiritual person, the person who is in tune with the working of the Spirit inside of me, then he reveals to me my true value, okay? There's a quote from the book that, I actually encourage you to read the book, it's a really nice book. It says, In the hearts of saints lives the grace of the Holy Spirit, making them kin with God. And they feel without a doubt that they are spiritual children of the Heavenly Father. Okay, this is a really important concept for us to have. It's a really important concept to have. Because when I have this correct value of my own self-worth, then I won't sort of go to the right or to the left, being very sort of prideful of uh, who I am, or being sort of really down and depressed about sort of my uh, weaknesses in my life, right? I should have this uh, correct understanding of, of who I am. So what's the relationship between truth and our, our sense of self? We struggle when we view ourselves not through like these pure lenses, but sort of through in, incorrect lenses. We, we can lose sort of the correct orientation, right? When we give into or believe our emotions, right? Sometimes our emotions tell us at the given time what our truth is, who we are, right? And we feel those things and they're so powerful that we believe them and that feeling sort of starts, begins to reflect our reality. But there's a difference between how God sees us and how we see ourselves. Because there's one of the biggest strategies of the devil that he uses for us is to sort of whisper to us half-truths. Tell us things that are kind of true. Kind of like, you know, same thing that he did with like Adam and Eve. Right? So like when, I, when I'm down on myself, the devil may tell me that you know, I'm worthless. That God can't forgive me for the thing that I did. Or that people don't like me. Or that I'm a hypocrite. Okay? The, the, the devil can convince me of those half-truths. Because there is some truth to those, right? Yes, compared to Christ who is perfect, I am worthless. Right? And yes, I defile myself a lot. Right? And yes, sometimes people don't like me. Right? And yes, sometimes I act in a way that is not consistent with what I believe, right? So the, the, they're, they're kind of true. The reason that they work so well is because they're kind of true. And the devil actually does the opposite with us too. So he will tell us half-truths in the other direction as well, right? He'll say, you're the best. You don't need to try so hard. You're already better than most people, most of your friends, most of the people that you kind of are close to. A little sin is inevitable. Why, do I, why should I bother fighting? Everybody loves me. 
or I'm always right, right? So the devil can tell me those things too. And those are half true too, right? Yes, I have a value that is, you know, too great to be described. Yes, salvation is a gift. Yes, sometimes people like me and sometimes I've done what's right, but it isn't the complete truth, right? But our minds get convinced of these complete truths or these, these falsehoods that the devil is putting as complete truths and we block out everything else, right? And our emotions start to follow. So then I fall into despair, anger, frustration, or I fall towards vanity, being smug, complacency, right? Because we believe sometimes that my emotions are telling me the whole truth about myself. How I feel is telling me the whole truth about myself, okay? And if that process goes unchecked, we end up in either one of two places, right? Either we end up in the depths of depression or we end up sort of in the heights of pride, right? I was reading this story about a man who was, um, he had really dark thoughts in his spiritual life and then he stopped going to church. He stopped actually doing sort of any sort of spiritual activities in his life. And he was very, like I would consider him to be like very spiritually depressed, very, very low spiritually. And actually, thank God, um, the grace of God worked in him and he came back to the church and became really a strong member in the church. And part of sort of some of the things he was doing once he got back is he made a list, he wrote down a list of the lies that the devil told him while he was sort of in this spiritual depression. The lies that he was told while he was in this spiritual depression. Do you know the number one thing that he wrote? What do you think the number one thing that he wrote was? You had to guess. The number one thing that he wrote that he's like, yep, this is, this is my problem. Or this is the thing the devil convinced me of. Any idea? The number one thing that the devil, that he wrote down, the first lie, was that it's too late. It's too late. The devil convinced him it's too late. But everything, like I've messed up stuff and it's too late for me to go back. And once that happened, kind of everything else sort of followed. So then the Holy Spirit, part of his uh, work inside of me is to tell me uh, the truth about myself and not be sort of, not give in to those thoughts or those feelings or those emotions that come to me on a day-to-day -day basis. So then I guess a question, uh, how do I know when I have a thought like that if it's coming from the Holy Spirit and it's the spirit of truth, or it's coming uh, from the devil, or it's coming sort of uh, from my own uh, weaknesses. How do I know the difference? How can I tell? What do you think? Or you can't, you just guess. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> What'd you say? Very close, actually, very close. It's actually super simple. We, we kind of complicate things way too much. If my thought, if my emotion, if my feeling is dark, is accusatory, right? If it's leading me to question my value or the motives of others or what I know to be true about God, then I know for sure it's not from God, okay? If my, these thoughts, these emotions lead me towards Christ, if it leads me closer to others, if it leads me to act in love, if it leads me to have a new appreciation for God's mercy, then it comes from God. Okay? Very simple. And actually Christ tells us that same thing. He says, he says when he's talking about, he's talking about the Pharisees and things, but he says, you will know them by their fruits. Right? So you're going to know them by what is the result of that action. Right? So it's the same thing. When I have a thought that, I, that I'm not so positive about, if this is really true, I should think to myself, what is the logical conclusion of that thought? If I were to allow that thought to 
to exist in reality? What is the logical end point of that thought, right? If it's something, like I said, dark and accusatory or keeping me away from what I know to be true about God, then I know it's not from God, okay? So how does the Holy Spirit help? No, you can go back. He offers us the whole truth, right? Which is something like not easy for us to discern. In actually in 1 Corinthians, St. Paul says, we are not always able to receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to Him, nor can we know them because they are spiritually discerned. Okay? So this is why actually this, the pursuit of the spiritual life is super important. And the spiritual life unfolds where? In the church. No, in the church. <laughs> in the church. So we go to the next, go to the next slide. <coughs> so this is why the Holy Spirit is, is, is very important when I consider the sacraments. Okay? Just like if I were to tell you, like, how do I know, or how do you know that I love Nancy? How do you know that I, or if Nancy was asking, how do I know that you love me? How would she know? How would she know? Probably by things I do, right? How I act towards her, what I say about her, what, you know, things I tell her. She would know that I love her, or she would know that I don't. So just as love is hard to appreciate without concrete expressions, the Holy Spirit is difficult to understand apart from his specific actions within creation. And my argument, what I'm trying to say, is the sacraments are the Holy Spirit's specific actions within creation. Okay? So in the sacraments, what does, what does the church do? The sacra in, the, in the sacraments, the church takes material things and makes them a vehicle of the Holy Spirit. Right? And actually in that way, the sacraments sort of remind us of the incarnation. Right? Christ took material flesh and he made it a vehicle of the Spirit, right? God the Son, before the incarnation, has no body, can't be seen, can't be touched, can't be known, right? But Christ takes flesh and becomes known. So my argument, what I'm saying is, through the sacraments, the Holy Spirit can be known, right? Because He takes things that are physical, things that are material, and, and reveals to us the Spirit, okay? So we better understand what a sacrament is sort of by considering what does a sacrament accomplish? Okay, what does a sacrament accomplish? And, and I like to think about the, the example in the book that they gave was a really nice, was an example of an appliance. Okay, so I buy this appliance, and it's new, shiny, I don't know, refrigerator or whatever, and I open the box, and I look at it, and I read the manual, and it looks great, and whatever, I know where I'm gonna put it, and put it right here, and it's gonna, it's whatever, but I never plug it in, right? If I don't plug it in, what purpose does it serve? What can it do? What features does it have? It doesn't matter, right? It can't do anything because it's not plugged in, right? So instead of a fully functioning refrigerator or whatever that's operating to the best of its ability, I have an appliance that sort of just takes up space and is just kind of there, right? Why? Because its connection to electricity, its connection to the source of its effectiveness, is not there, okay? So my argument is, or what I'm, what I'm trying to convince you is that authentic Christian life the authentic Christian life that is established by our Lord Jesus Christ, that was practiced by His disciples, that was passed on uh, by faithful men and women throughout generations, is not possible unless it's connected to the source. It's not possible unless it's connected to the source. So I can go through life, you know, adorned with all these sort of like gifts and talents and great potential, just like the amazing appliance that has all the things that it could do, right? But we're just taking up space and we're not we don't become what we are created to become, right? His divine power 
unless we are plugged into the source, the Holy Spirit. So the connection is not automatic, right? Just like the plug of the appliance doesn't just magically find itself there into the wall, right? So the Christian life consists of those two parts, us and the Holy Spirit working together to change the person. Like I said, how is the difference between a Christian and non-Christian? That the Holy Spirit is working to change the person from within. Okay? Okay, go to the next slide. There's two things that we need to talk about as far as like how the Holy Spirit works or, or how, how my spiritual life, how do I become connected to the source? How do I connect to the Holy Spirit? Okay? One is through imitation. Imitation, I think, we understand very well because it's really just about morals and values. Imitation means I read the Gospels, I see how Christ acts, and I say to myself, I should do those things that Jesus does. Okay? So he says, love your enemy, so I try to love my enemies. He says, turn the other cheek, so I try to turn the other cheek. Right? Imitation. And that actually is something that even people who are not Christian would maybe agree with, right? They would read the gospel and they would say, yeah, those are good ideas to do. Uh, I'm happy to do them as well. Okay? But the second part is, is the part that really connects us to the Holy Spirit that is unique to us as Christians, which is participation. Okay? Not just imitation, but participation. Because imitation is, like I said before, that external act. It's an external act. Participation is an internal reality. Participation is plugging in to that source, like I was talking about. And for us as Orthodox Christians, that means something very specific. It means the sacraments, okay? The sacramental life of the church, right? The sacraments are those moments where we are literally being plugged into the Holy Spirit. All of the sacraments are that way, right? In the sacrament of baptism, I am, by the work of the Holy Spirit, made a child of God, right? In the sacrament of chrismation, by the Holy Spirit, he comes to dwell in me and his seal is on me, right? In the sacrament of the Eucharist, right? The Holy Spirit comes, descends upon me, and it descends upon the gifts to transform them into the body and blood of Christ so that I could be united with Christ. I can't do it apart from, I can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. Right? I can't do it apart from being plugged into the source. Even the sacrament of repentance and confession. Right? I'm just saying words to the person in front of me. But the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is working through the grace of the priesthood to absolve the sins of the person speaking. Right? So those are the ways that I'm, I'm plugged in. Or even like, if you think about marriage, right? If I'm thinking about marriage, I'm just saying words. Just, I'm just saying words, just doing things. Right? But we believe that the Holy Spirit is actually uniting those two people. Right? Doing something to make them different than what they were, you know, 45 minutes ago before they started the ceremony. Okay? And so like in the church, we... we, we formally or informally recognize seven sacraments as having like particular significance. But they're not just like isolated acts accomplishing unrelated purposes. They're integrated elements of a, of a whole life with God. So what I mean to say is like all of those things are, are, it's as if the church is sort of trying to take you on a journey from birth until your death with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. So like in baptism, I'm, I'm born, I become a child of God. Chrismation, I have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. <coughs> the Eucharist is an active participation of being united with Christ on a daily or weekly basis, or whatever the case may be. Uh, repent, when I fall short, then the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and renews me and makes me clean again and washes me again as if I'm baptized again. Right? The other sacraments, like the unction of the sick, sacrament of marriage, the sacrament of priesthood, they're doing the same thing. I'm following 
in those journeys. So the Holy Spirit is doing something to transform me. Okay, that's the biggest takeaway from, from, from today, is that the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me to transform me, to change me. Because that transformation I can't do by myself. Okay? That transformation I can't do by myself. I can, ex I can change my external behaviors. I can even, by changing my external behaviors, I could change sort of some of my thoughts. Because how I act determines how I think. But to be really transformed, to be completely changed from something I was and something I want to be, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I hope uh, that's kind of helpful for you to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. David said it's not helpful. That's okay. Any questions? Amazing. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. You can pray. Unless you have announcements. I'm sure you don't have announcements. You just seem very unorganized. Thank you so much. Do you have any announcements? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit dwelling inside us. We ask of God to help us to have a spiritual sensitivity to hear Him when He's speaking to us. To give Him permission to work inside of us, to not deny Him when He is calling us, to not deny Him when He is giving us direction that we can be transformed into the image of your Son, to the glory of your name, to the Son of St. Mary, to mean all your saints, your Son, and pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven. <coughs>